We're back after a long Ertech week. And Jason Webster, an even longer week for you. I can't wait for you to get into the story about putting water in your gas tank and all of the fun that that may cause. PSA to anybody listening, don't put water in your gas tank. Not that it was Jason's fault. We'll jump into all that and much more with the Spirit Data team that we have going on here. Jason Webster had come on tripping over the barrel. He was our last guest, actually, just a couple weeks before Tim passed away. We recorded an episode that I've listened to probably four or five times just because of when um, it was recorded and uh, a meaningful one for me and I think for for Jason and I know for Tim as well um, that we were able to squeeze him in as our 97th recording of Tripping Over the Barrel. Um, and Kevin Ludbrook, kind of your typical longtime listener, first-time caller coming into this call. Kevin heads up Spirit Data out of Calgary, um, where I think you're the CEO and Jason's the president, right, Kevin? That's that's the that's correct, yeah. Awesome. So, you know, Jason, we'll get to you in just a minute. We want to put the focus on Kevin today. Jason's stepping in as like a guest co-host, and uh, these two dudes are friends. So, Mr. Ludbrook, Kevin, why don't you tell the audience of What the Funk, who are you, man? Well, probably a question uh, best asked to my daughters because I think they'd give you this straight shot. There we go. Yeah, well, I uh, born and uh, raised in Alberta. Uh, you know, country kid from outside of Edmonton, kind of born in the middle of the oil field up there, and uh, grew up in the country. Dad was a mechanic. We had a couple shops. We had tow trucks. Worked on cars from the time I could move, you know, pumped gas, delivered gas, drove a buggy, building lease roads. Uh, That's kind of how I grew up. It was great. It was a great place to be from. Uh, Great growing up in the country. You know, lots of of motorcycles and dune buggies and hiking in the bush and floating down the river and all that kind of stuff. So it it was a great way to be. Then, uh, yeah, I left there, went to Southern Alberta to go to university, Lethbridge. and uh, again, you know, kind of a small field there, maybe, but what was great is all the folks that I met, and, you know, our first company, this company was born out of those relationships, long-term friendships, and, uh, landed in, uh, landed in Calgary after university and I've uh, been here almost exclusively since stint in uh, BC in the mining business, uh, stint out East in Ottawa for a while with uh, co-op and a little bit of work out there over the years, but primarily here in Calgary for a long time. Canada all the way through. I love it. Jason, I need you to give the audience the cliffs notes on you. I'm talking 30, 45 seconds. Who is Jason Webster in the most truncated version that you can possibly do? Uh-huh. Perfect. Uh, let's see, truncated version. Um, you know, a, a software guy through and through. Uh, yeah. Grew up, went to school, thought I wanted to do nothing but program. Um, got to where I really enjoyed working with people more than keyboards. Um, and so kind of pivoted a bit into work management role and, and really spent my career um fostering relationships and helping put great solutions in for companies to make their businesses run better. And how did you guys meet? What's the genesis of this relationship? Well, we spent a bit of time in, uh, in, in, uh, Julie together. And <laughs> we, uh, we met when we were both working at, uh, Quorum and, uh, you know, literally, I guess early on, right. And, you know, we, they bring the Canadians down to, uh, to have meetings and whatnot. So we got to know each other there, you know, through projects. A lot of the quorum team worked throughout together, depending on the systems that we were implementing. And uh, yeah, so off and on, I guess, user conferences. Too. You know, around here, quorum is a core letter word. I don't know. I don't even know what that means, but I just came up with it on the spot. It's my podcast, so I get to say stupid stuff like that. Kevin, I want to go back to something that that you said, and this is 
I've found this fascinating in my life. So I, I'm a little bit younger than you, I think, at this point. A lot. Um, yeah. A, okay, a lot. Fine. I'm 43. Yeah. I grew up in um, in really small town, Plymouth, New Hampshire. Population, I don't know, when, when the school's in session, when college is in session, maybe 5,000. Um, but in the surrounding towns, you're talking, some of them have 400, 800, 1,200. And I just, I couldn't wait to get out when I was younger. I just wanted to leave. I'm going to officially start my life when I get the hell out of Northern New Hampshire. And that's when everything's going to be great. And I've had this crazy thing that's happened as I get older that I really actually appreciate and love the fact that I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. And I'm curious, you know, you said you're from a small town in, in uh, what, just outside of Edmonton, which is way out there, Canadian Rockies, right? You said dune buggies, motorcycles. I can sort of picture it. Do you have some of that with you as well, where you've been in the city now? I'm in the burbs, but 20 minutes from downtown Denver. Do you have some of that kind of nostalgia and appreciation for that small town life now that you have lived in the city for so long? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, and, and it's top of mind right now. I guess if you're, if you're watching the news, we're, we're on fire here, literally. Mm-hmm. Everything's ablaze. Uh, one of my best friends from, from growing up, uh, uh, the house is no longer in his, with his family. They, they sold it, but it was, uh, it was on the news recently, and it's, there's nothing but cinder blocks like, from, the, from the basement. And so, so it is top of mind, right? We're talking to some some friends that I was uh I was raised with and who's uh you know whose places have been hurt you know there's, there's a lot of folks that are still out there that I know and, but no oh, absolutely uh if I look if I look back kind of at my my career path how I ended up going to the University of Lathbridge was a couple buddies from from home we landed down there and then you know from there I mean <laughs> I can connect all the dots for you for all the people that I've met, but yeah, it comes from that. And, uh, as recently as my young daughter's graduation, we were sitting at the, at the, uh, the table with some folks. And, uh, one of the ladies said, well, I work for, uh, uh, you know, Jag flow components. And, uh, she goes, you probably never heard of it. It's a small, uh, you know, little field, uh, valve company, et cetera. And I said, actually I do, but, Good friend of mine, Keith Barnstead, that I was raised with, was uh, had a Jag flow components and brought it into, uh, you know, into Houston, and and that's it. And for such a small town, like it was a lot of folk when I was, it was uh, probably about eight hundred people. And Evansburg was just across the river, and it was fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred people at the time. Oh, so, metropolis. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. But it was awesome, and. Uh, you know, the fun growing up, the fun going to school, uh, grad class, I think out of high school was 38, 38 kids. Oh, wow. No, I'm not going to tell you where I ranked in those 38 kids. You can use <laughs> with that, but. <laughs> I mean, you got into college, so I'm guessing it wasn't 37th or 38th, but, you know, 36th <laughs> or higher, we, we would allow. You know, my high school was actually a regional high school, so it was, it was big. I mean, it was probably 800. Um, my graduating class is about 170. I think the high school as a whole was about 800. But the if you were to like you know kind of draw a circle around how far people drove, it was a ways, man. You know, yeah, it was the high school sort of in an area and, and a regional high school, um, and and sort of gives you like you know there, there's probably eight or nine different towns that fed into it, and they each had their own kind of culture and personality despite the fact no, that it was so small any and even names right people who had lived in certain towns like that's where their family had lived for years and years and years and i said there's no way that's going to be me and and it won't be me I'm, i'll never go back there there's just not as much opportunity but with covid and the shift toward remote work i could actually see spending a little bit more time in the middle of nowhere in new hampshire in the summers than i ever could have before um, because now you can stay connected basically anywhere and they have cell towers, which they didn't have in the, in the nineties uh, when, when I was there, Jason, you're a small town guy as well, right? I think you're from uh, Dallas, Texas. 
<laughs> yeah, it's pretty small. I think there's, I don't know, maybe a couple million people now. But um, yeah, I know it's funny, like hearing you guys talk about the small time. It's almost like, you know, on the opposite. Like, I grew up a city kid. Um, in fact, Jeremy, you and I were talking. You decided to go full cowboy at a wedding last weekend. <laughs> I did. Um, you know, I'm a native Texan and I don't own a pair of boots nor a cowboy hat. So it's, you know, between San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty city, but you know, it's, it's sort of going the opposite way. I enjoy getting out, you know, at the lake. There's not a whole lot of people that the town we live in or how about the lake is, I think population of 1500 maybe. And so it's sort of the, the opposite of kind of seeking that out after growing up in the city my whole life to, to be able to have a little bit of flights of paradise and PC quiet at times. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, when all of your toys, like your car and your boat are actually working i'm sure that, that's that's when things are nice being in paradise in the middle of nowhere when they're not <laughs> you told me a funny story about that actually kind of riding shotgun with the uh, tow truck guy this week and we'll, we'll get into all that in in just a minute i want to go back to so you guys met in juvie slash quorum um probably going back a ways like jason you were at quorum for 16 and a half years and I know, Kevin, you've been doing the Spira thing for a while. So you guys worked together. Jason stayed at Quorum. Kevin, what happened with you? You you branched off and, and kind of did this whole Spira data thing. Give, give me sort of that evolution. Yeah, we so Spira was born out of uh, a company, actually was friends and I uh, from university. We started this company, or uh, the Focus, which was the previous company. And uh, my brother was in there as well. We had, it was a great company. We had a nine-year run. Um, and we we separated this spirit out from there. Okay. Um, this is partner took spirit. I stayed with Focus. Focus was subsequently sold. And uh, a, a friend of mine from university, Roland LeBoom, was heading up to Canadian office for forum. And he said, yeah, you got you to gotta come over here and get us in. So I, I went over there. Um, I probably met Webster at that first user conference, um, which was, what was that, 2007, I think, when obviously I was like 19. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and it was seven years of quorum, uh, and it was fantastic. And I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, then there was some changes here at Spira, and our board said, hey, would you be interested in coming over here and helping out. And I thought, yeah, you know, seven years, like, uh, probably time for a little uh, change and refocus. So I jumped in here, which was now it was nine years in May. But uh, yeah, so seven years there. And um, what's funny is Elsie here at Spiro, who's our director of uh, consulting and delivery, uh, my first job, my first day at Warm, we walked over and I, started a project with Elsie. She's right out of right out of university at that time. So it's yeah, it's a kind of this whole group moving along with us. Small world stuff, man. Yeah. So so building tech in 2006, 2007, or before that even for for Spira, you said out of university. And then scaling a company, growing the company the tech must have changed, right? Like I get that the thesis of handling field ticketing and being an um, you know, operations resource planning platform is still the same. But talk to me a little bit about the evolution of the technology just to keep up like versus when you built it to what it is today. How different is it? Um, well, that's a good question. So in some respects, it's, it's the exact same. And I'd say the, you know, the fundamental uh, business problem, and maybe this is a comment on the whole industry, but, you know, the fundamental business problem at that time was uh, folks were doing everything by paper. They were, uh, you know, transporting that paper uh, in a, you know, kind of a, a Tupperware container on the Greyhound bus from these remote areas to the head office. Yeah. And what's interesting is, we can cite you examples of that still happening, right? There's still folks out there doing it that way. And it's a combination. We get asked, what, who's our competitor? Well, 
paper and Excel in a lot of yeah. cases still, yeah. right? But from a pure technology standpoint, I mean, the Rev one of this was built on Microsoft Access. Okay. And, and it evolved through VB6 and then now we're like, fully SaaS based and, and it's, uh, you know, it's real slick. But in 2007, we rolled out our first offline tablet version of, of the remote capability of our product. And, uh, which, you know, how long do you got? We can talk about that, you know, being an offline, uh, data store on a, on an Apple product in, uh, 2007 was uh, a bit of an undertaking, but uh, yeah. So technology-wise, I mean, holy cow, everything's changed, you know. And the volume of data that we're processing now versus what we were processing then, but the fundamentals of the of the business issue we're resolving are it's, it's the same. Same so, uh, with a much broader footprint, of course, with what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is a problem, J- Jason. We talked about this even at Urtech this week. That as much as technology has evolved and and shifted and improved within at least oil and gas in the in the field, it's probably what like seventy percent still done via paper, and maybe thirty percent has been digitized to this point. And it's like, we've taken some strides and some steps, but for the most part, like we still talk to porta potty companies. We'll talk to oil field services companies with 40, 50 trucks out there. And they're still writing things down pen to paper. Like you, you'd be amazed, right? And it's business is still somewhat efficient. They still get the job done. They find a way to put their accountants to work and make them the company profitable. But man, there are easier ways. Right? How do you get people, Jason, I guess this is for you, to shift that kind of thinking? Because you're really talking about, we've done it this way for a long time, and guess what? It works. We make a lot of money. We're profitable. We can stay in business. Why do I need to change? Like, What is kind of the general response to that? You know, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. You know, <laughs> I agree, 70% or so paper. And even part of the paper part, like some of it's not even paper. Some of these guys won't even write it down. They just pick up their phone and and call the back office and say, "Here's what I did." Right. So it's even to some degree worse than having a quote paper trail. But you know, when we talk to you know some of these pursuits we go after, you know, and I actually talked to one of the guy was at Spira a while back, and he said, "Hey, give me one of the the most technically unfriendly people you've got, and let me put it in his hands and let him prove it out." So. To some degree, it works out in your favor because sometimes that person's like, ooh, I, I'm getting tested here and actually works harder than some of the other people. But most of them, it's like, hey, you know, pull your phone out. And you see their phone and like, hey, can you show me something real quick? And you watch them on the phone and it's just fine. I'm like, how is that any different than this, which has got less buttons than your bank app or Amazon just log into? You know, it, it's simple. And so trying to relate them back to, hey, you're using these devices for the rest of your your daily activity, why not do it for here? And by the way, instead of going back to the hotel or home and having to write stuff down and send it in an hour after you're off, you're off the clock, why not do it while you're on through? And, and kind of talking to it in some of those those things, I think it's these guys to kind of realize it's not as hard and you know, change is hard for everyone. But when you start putting it into, you're already doing it the rest of your life, you just didn't really realize it as you know, cell phones, then flip phones, and now smartphones have come to be. Um, it's just really kind of putting in the, in the context that you're already doing it. Um, just, just do it for work as well. And it's it's helped, but it, it's still hard to kind of, you know, guide people down the path who, much like the bigger ERP systems, like, oh, I'm close to kind of retirement age. I don't want to do any of this stuff anymore. I just want to get to the sunset years. But, um, you know, once you kind of can walk them through it in baby steps and, Hey, look, we're not asking you to, to move mountains. Let's just do a, a couple of fields to make your life easier and make your business more profitable. It, it starts to resonate a bit more. Yeah, and, and I think the thing that, Jay, we talked about this just this morning. As tech guys, right, we will fall in love with the most slick, sexy features, whether that be dispatching, 
mapping, real-time tracking, business intelligence dashboards, right? Beautiful reports. But truthfully, companies might see those in a demo and say, man, that's really awesome. That's not why they buy your product, right? They buy it to take care of the lowest hanging fruit, which is like you said, writing things down by hand, people calling into the back office, right? People getting literally their greasy fingers on a piece of paper or a piece of paper flying out the window, right? Then uh, actually replacing that with technology. And then the other stuff, even though we love it and you've spent a lot of money in the tech and investment to make it look a certain way, that's not actually why people buy, right? That's where you get to once you're mature on a platform and, and an application. Kevin, I want to bring this back to you a little bit, right? So, so Spira, you guys built this for the field to be able to first and foremost digitize electronic tickets. And I'm guessing, at least if I were you, that if we could do this and help companies in the brutal freezing cold in Alberta, where they're out, where they don't have connectivity and they're still able to enter data, man, we could do this anywhere. Has that sort of been how you, you've grown this company in terms of expansion and working where like, hey, man, if we could do it here, we could do it anywhere? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been a factor for sure. Um, I'd say the onset, and you, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, the whiz bang and the wonderful things that we can do and how sexy it looks and everything. At the onset, it was about getting service companies invoices paid, and you could reduce the cycle of you know the the days outstanding that they had. Mm. And that's it's still really easy to show uh, the value there. Um, but for the folks that we had in in most cases, and as you can imagine, like I said in you know 2007, a iPad tablet running on you know out in the field came with its challenges, but mm. um, really was the benefit of, of getting, you know, getting invoices paid. And then there's, there's magic that happened on field tickets long before technology. And that was, you put your guy's payroll on your revenue ticket and, and, it, and the tickets just magically make it into the office. Right. And they're correct because folks want to get paid. And, you know, to be able to do that on electronic ticket as well is, it's the same magic happens. The information's good. We can do a lot through controls and, and rules and stuff. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to get paid. So they're going to throw the information out and make sure the tickets get there, right? Um, but interestingly enough, and, and this kind of ties back to the small town thing too, um, a lot of folks between the U.S. and Canada in the oil field are tied. And it's, and I still amazes me you know if i'm down in oklahoma city and i'm talking to somebody and and uh they go oh yeah you know i was up in calgary do you know so and so well it turns out i actually do right proving that all canadians know each other yep just yep. asking anyone right and uh but it is a real small business and what happened is we'd have people up there and they they were down in the u.s and they'd go man you gotta you gotta try this because it works and it was really easy to minimize the admin that folks were doing, you know, out in the field. And, and that's really more than anything how it grew. You have to understand that the oil field here in Canada is a 14-block radius in Calgary. I, right. can, I can walk down the street here and, you know, encounter so many people on any given day. Um, and then, you know, try and string two meetings back-to-back -back in, in Houston in one day, right? Because it's so <laughs> spread out, you know. So it's, it's different in that regard, but, uh, yeah, it's really about people that had used the system and, and drug us with them into their, into the companies. I'd, I'd say that we're a little more sophisticated on marketing and sales now than we were, but initially that's what it's about, right? It's uh, word of mouth in so many cases. Still is still referrals are still the best, the, the best form of business. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's like a tipping point right? Once you have sort of a certain amount of customers, like the way that you've seen your growth in, in Calgary is the way that it's likely going to happen here as well. You just get enough people talking, people leave one company, go to the next, they bring you with them. Although we have seen a lot of sort of competitors and companies pop up, 
to Spirit Data, which makes sense, right? It's a, it's an acknowledged problem that field service companies, service companies of any kind, they just want to get paid quicker. And whoever's paying them wants transparency into the amount that they really should be paying so that they can pay quicker. And it's something that goes well beyond just oil and gas um, also. Jason, wanted to, uh, to go back to you, right? So you finish up your time at Quorum, right? You're, you're probably thinking, all right, maybe I'll play a little bit of golf. I'm going to start looking for my next gig. I want to stay in energy tech. How did that lead you back to Kevin? You know, it's interesting because, you know, I did play a bit of golf after Quorum and um, <laughs> got the handicap and some pretty good, pretty good numbers. But, um, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to stay in energy tech right at the beginning, you know, and then after I or tech in general, or do I like this pure consulting? And so I did a lot of soul searching. And then ultimately, you know, I, I like what we do at Spear. I, I like the people aspects. I like the technology aspect. And, um, you know, I do enjoy energy um, quite a bit. And so you just started having some conversations and some lunches and kind of going back to, you know, it's a small world, you know, in, in this space. You know, had lunch with a couple of people that I really like working with at Spear who kind of moved on and just were connected. And Santi is one of those people who, um, she was at Quorum, I think until about 2010 ish. Um, but you know, I worked for her early on in my career, um, in the kind of consulting space. And you know, I was just kind of telling her what I was looking for, what I was interested in. And she's like, she's like, well, you should talk to Kevin. You remember Kevin? I was like, yeah, I mean, it's been a bit since we last chatted. And so, you know, we left, left that lunch and I wasn't even home and already had an email from Santi, you know, to Kevin, kind of connecting us. And, um, you know, I think the next day we, we had a chat and it's kind of like, Hey, what have you been up to? What are you guys looking for? What am I looking for? And, um, it really was just sort of the, the network and connections and, you know, the fact that she knew kind of what Kevin was needing and wanting and it kind of matched what I was looking for. It was so again, just those relationships putting together. So it's, it's not just winning business. It's also how you connect your network and you know, your own career path as well. Well, there's that and, and, uh, Webster's wife, Lacey. Gave me a call and said, look, man, he's been here for a few months now. I got to get him out of here. <laughs> Dude, get him out of my house. My daughters are getting yeah. sick of him. And so, I mean, Kevin, how, how pumped were you then to say, hey, I got a free agent right here who I know, who I trust, yeah. who's you a know, stud, um, who I worked with before. Like, t- talk me through your mindset when you said, hey, I got this guy out there. I'm not letting him get away. Well, I mean, maybe Webster should turn his speakers off for this part. Because I don't want to you know, get control of himself. But uh, two two points to that. One is Santi is one of these uh, you know gifted people that understands who's going to get along and who's going to work well together. And she's just she's that person. She hired me. Uh, she you know that was kind of one of the final interviews at Forum. To I had to I had to go down to Houston. I had to meet. Uh, Skippy and Scott Leeds and Santi and um, I made it through there. So if you ever get a chance to talk to her, ask her about the jackass that showed up in a double-breasted suit. Nice. She didn't want to hire me, but uh, she's she's one of those people. And uh, you can go down a list of people that are at Quorum today and and that are no longer at Quorum, and they'll all pretty much give you the same story. And so yeah, when she said Webster was available, I mean we were probably not even a whole week out that we had a conversation and started talking and, and uh, we that you know try to grow uh the states before uh and had different people and it's it's tough you know remotely you know when you're not part of the bigger the bigger office because i was i was the the flip side of that you know here in canada was born and so i lived it and uh but yeah Webster and I right out of the gates, you know, we're, we're car guys. Uh, he's, uh, he sends emails at three in the morning. Um, yeah. you know, like all the, all the things that you kind of get aligned on and then you realize that you're, you know, this can be a lot of fun to do it together. And you got somebody that gets it. Uh, it was, I mean, we got things turned around pretty quickly. I was very excited and saw that, you know, the timing was going to be good for us and what we were trying to do with the push into the U S um, and I, I'll tell you what, man, it's been, it's been ha- fantastic having Weber around. 
um, you know, his first thing that he did was he uh, he did an implementation just so he could get an understanding of what it is, you know, because it's a service side is a little bit of difference than what you know than what Orm has, and uh, but you gotta you gotta you gotta dig through it to really understand. Look, our our footprint is big, and you can't do that by you know reading the pamphlets. You gotta if you're gonna talk to them, right? If you're gonna sell it, as you well know by now, it's uh, for sure. There's a lot of moving pieces there. So, uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic, and uh, you know, I ever, ever since we're just yeah, things are just all moving in the right direction. Webster's been a big part of that. Quickly after uh, joining, you know, he moved to uh, president role, and now he's on the board. I I don't know. Should I be worried? He's on the board? Oh, I would talk to him much differently if I knew that. Jeez, Jason, thanks for letting me know that part. Now, I, I you know, from my perspective, and, and I've talked to both of you about this, Spira was tangential. It was a company that had a footprint in Calgary that wanted to do some business in the U.S. and had kind of dabbled. And I think the move to bring in somebody like Jason or Jason himself was really where you announced, we're very serious about the U.S., and, and I think it, there comes that point for every company. And, and I've seen this a lot because a lot of the best oil and gas tech has come out of Calgary and it's moved down here. You look at the whole kind of Ocerna suite, right? With, um, you know, the, the Enterside crew and Energy Navigator and Peloton, right? And, you know, the, the Spirit Data and even Dakota Analytics from the consulting side of things. It's, it's consistent where... I don't know what it is, man. Maybe those winters are really long. You don't want to go outside, but you guys figure out how to build great tech. And then the challenge is, all right, see in Canada, once you build great tech, and like you said, 14 square blocks, word gets out in the plus 15s, people know who to buy the tech from. The US, man, it's different, right? There's there's much more digital. Things are very spread out. You need uh, territory-based reps in different geographies, you need to have a little bit more of a strategy. It's like, well, that's weird. What we did up here, even though we're selling to the same industry that has the same operations, doesn't work down there. It's like, yeah, it requires a different type of investment and mindset. The companies that do well coming down from Calgary to the US embrace that. The companies that fail simply keep banging their heads saying, it worked this way up here. Why is it not working down there? Right? And it's it's been kind of fascinating for me to observe but I think, Kevin, that was sort of your your stroke of, all right, well, we're going to push our chips in with this dude. Right? And Jason, like, you, you know, there's a level of risk that you take too, which is, okay, I know this is going to have to be different. And what you're constantly going to have to tell the people that are on the board with you and other execs and, and just teammates in general is, I know that you've done it this way, but this is a different market. We have to do it my way. And until you have enough kind of revenue and credibility at this company, it doesn't matter what you did at Quorum. Like that's just sort of how it is, right? And you know, you've built that and it's been really cool to see what um, what's happened for Spear in the US and how you guys have attacked that market. Um, Kevin, I wanted to jump into the say-do quotient because frankly, it's one of my favorite things that I've been exposed to business-wise over the past really two and a half years. Talk to me about the say-do quotient. Where did you come up with that? Is there a formal mathematical algorithmic answer to say-do or is this based on feel? Because I feel like this should be something that should be on bumper stickers. You guys should wear t-shirts, spirit data, the say-do quotient. Tell our listeners about it because it's so simple, but it's so badass. So that that term, say-do ratio, um, actually was from our chairman, Glenn B. Scott. And, but it distilled down. So as a, as a management team, as an executive here, we try to get things down to just simple clarity, right? Some, some tag things that we can do to make sure that people are focused. And what we've always said here, and, and this goes well before maybe back to the focus days when we, we had our consulting teams, it's we don't, we don't get ourselves in trouble at delivery. We get ourselves in trouble at commitment. And so drive everything back there. And, and so conceptually, that's simple. In practice, it's hard, right? You know, schedules go over, people get sick, stuff happens. Um, but it is conceptual to say when we commit. And that's, that's broader than work. I mean, that's, 
that's that's your kids, that's your wife, that's your family, that's your friends. Like if you're gonna commit, commit and and then follow through. So your say do ratio is what I say and what I do. How how closely does that get to a hundred percent? But this this concept of uh, you know, well, we're we're late on delivery. Well, why are we late on delivery? Well, we we committed to four other things, right, that we shouldn't have committed to. Okay, well, there's there's your issue, right, at the commitment. So, and then we've been we've been touting that forever here since since the onset. Well, since I've been here these last nine years, and then Glenn B said, "Say do ratio." That's it. That's the that's the tag because it really is what I say and what I do. Close that gap. I don't know of anybody that's a hundred percent, but we have to be conscious about it in everything because it's our our uh, our credibility. And certainly, as an organization, and maybe to some degree, why why folks are why technology is a tough sell in some cases and whatnot is because there were a lot of early adopters that got sold a bill of goods that yeah. never had a lot of money. And uh, so to the extent that we can, our business is not more complicated than just doing what we said we were going to do, right? So to keep that ratio close, that's going to be our success, is, is 100, as close to 100% safety ratio that we, can, that we can get to. And do you, do you feel like you have a say, do, bullshit radar? Because you think in these terms, like, do you sort of sniff it out like, I got a feeling this guy's got a lot more say than he does do, whether it be in an interview process or sitting oh, down yeah. with the client or getting sold yeah. something like, do, do you feel like it's kind of tuned you into thinking in more real life situations about the say do ratio? You know, we can't, we can't claim that one. That's actually called a spidey sense. And okay. uh, you're right. <laughs> no, I, you're exactly right. And I think the more highlights you get, the more hair you lose, better you are at spotting that right? you just see a lot and um particularly on the sales front and you know where we had a a, a situation recently where we we're going in and it was a fairly substantial deal we we're trying to trying to get and we we're excited about it it's in a space we want to be in and the guys that were uh you know coming up us uh, coming up against us as competition we're going to do it all for free mm-hmm and so you're, you know, you're trying to uh, contain your integrity, I guess, in, in these situations and go, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys spot that? Turns out they did. And, and that actually undermined the competition in that situation. But the size of this project, there was no way they could do it for free. Right. They just couldn't. And it was an unreasonable, uh, you know, ask of anybody that, that they would expect somebody to do that for free. So yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, that spidey sense, yeah, you, you get that right away. And our interview process is actually uh, really good in that regard because uh, the process that we go through is so in depth. And I think we, we figure that out very early on, but time in the seat just helps. right? Yeah, it does. It, it does. You know, I, I think that, there's a phrase that that I heard in consulting that I, I really love too. Again, very, very simple and concise. Shout out Adam Hutchinson, Stonebridge on this one. You buy cheap, you buy twice. <laughs> and I would even expand upon that one that yeah. you buy free, buy a noose. <laughs> you know, like it it's just it's just not yeah. gonna work. But but I've thought about that a bunch. I've seen it over and over again. You buy cheap, you buy twice. Right. You, you can't, it just generally doesn't work. And if it does, well, I tip my cap, right. Way, way to go. You did some, some black magic that I couldn't have figured out myself. Um, but then that goes down a lot. Like th- that's just luck. If you, if you get yeah. something for nothing and it actually works out good for you, you luck. It, it just, that's not the way life works in general, yeah. <laughs> not just business. Jason, yeah. I want to, I want to shift to you a little bit about the year. What planes, trains, boats, and automobiles week this week. So I, we were talking this morning, man. Both of us are tired. Some late nights in Denver at Urtech. But your week started well before that in a load of shit. Talk to me about the last six, seven days in your world and planes, trains, boats, automobiles, and all that. 
You know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking, Kevin, when you were talking about, you know, growing up and, and the gas stations and et cetera. And like, it, it, it's funny when you think about, I'll get to it in just a second, like what I've gone through, but, um, you know, just to be able to, to call Kevin, he was one of the guys I called Monday morning and was like, Hey, can I bounce this off of you? you know, like, <laughs> like, I'm not sure what is going on. And so we, we kind of chatted through it, but yeah. So take my daughter out fishing Friday morning. Had a great time, caught some white bass, it was awesome, fired up Friday night. Nope. Engines completely stalled and seized. You know, was able to take it apart with my uncle and my brother and found out what it was. Got a part the next morning, got it fixed, it was awesome. On the way to get said part, I went to start my car and it was just like the most wildly knocking, like it was it was unruly, like not fun. And then it wouldn't start at all after that. So as you know, Jeremy, I get a tow to the dealership, which from the lake to the woodlands, I got to uh, sit shotgun with the tow truck guy who was definitely not expecting me to, to, to catch a ride with him. It was an interesting interesting uh, trip back into town. But yeah, come to find out, the gas station close to the, to the lake that I filled up with, coming back from Houston after a meeting with a customer, had water in her gas, and so it just wrecked the car. So oh. now it's... Uh, now I get to battle with the gas station and figure out, you know, liability and yeah, figuring out, you know, get them to own the fact that they sold me a, an awful bill of goods. And so in this case, I, I bought once and I'm paying for it three times. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just been a, uh, a mechanical kind of nightmare for me and it's, but, you know, learning a lot and but yeah, it was, it's been a, a tough week for, uh, automobiles and, and boats for me so i i have to imagine you're not the only one that got gas from this gas station that basically wrecked their car like this could be very bad for them yeah you know it's interesting because you know you do enough research you figure out in texas there's a government entity who does these investigations and so you get them involved and he's like man you'd be surprised how often this happens he's like it doesn't only happen to a person more than once if ever but it's frequent unfortunately um but yeah like in this remote area you know like, i don't know if this is a psa but if you put premium in your car and you're going to like you know the backwoods gas station it might be worth putting in the lower grade gas because mm. if the premium stuff sits there for a while whether there's water or contaminants in it you know lesson learned um but yeah i i asked him and you know i called all the all the neighbors at the lake and like hey one stay away from this gas station and two if you have any samples or hear of anything let me know because uh, i guarantee you i'm not the only one but yeah but, you know it's also worth mentioning that you know the mercedes are not nearly as robust as say the bmws i think <laughs> i i they're kind of like the lot of the german car makers ish right man I, I've gone through this nightmare, you know, I, so I, my first, like when I first really thought I was rich and I was able to afford a lease of a three series BMW, no frills, the most basic version whatsoever. It's about 15 years ago. I made it right. I'm an entry level drug dealer, caliber, financial, financially successful guy. And man, this, I got it brand new. 30,000 miles, I leased it. This thing was absolutely flawless. So in my mind, BMWs, man, they are the creme de la creme. And I decided, I don't know, probably about seven years later, I was going to buy a used 5 Series. Only had 36,000 miles on it when I got it. Oh my God, man. It was one thing after the next. Four grand here, three months later, 1500 bucks. Two months later, what does this sound? When it performed, it was as good of a vehicle as possible. But it's going to be really hard for me to shake the fact that I could barely get to 100,000 miles on this 5 Series BMW without taking out money literally from my kids' college funds yeah. to be able to have a vehicle to drive. What an experience. Um, but yeah. I, I, I think I should fall somewhere in between, but I don't know if there's any in between with the, with the German cars. It's either like, it's a great experience or it's like what I just dealt with, with my five series. Yeah. yeah it's funny. We get, I, I need to come up with or see if there's a, an acronym for either the Benz or the BMW, right? Cause with the boat, my uncle was like, you know what boat stands for, right? And like, no, he's like, break out another thousand. So <laughs> I like that. For the Mercedes or the BMW, because you're right. It's a few grand here or there, no matter what it is. Yeah. 
does end up all being the same, but it, you know, there's a few car guys in the office here. And, uh, so everybody's slagging on everybody else when something goes wrong. So well, we're, waiting see, we're waiting to see if the BMW guys, you know, get to the podium in Canada this week at the F1 race or not. Nice. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, BMW for me, uh, at least at the end was broke man walking. There you go. <laughs> There you go. I'm, your, I'm the content guy, but literally, it was broke man freaking walking to yeah. the, the bus station. Oh yeah. A uh, couple, yeah. couple more things I want to bring up, and then we'll we'll cut this thing off. So one of the questions I like to ask here, and and Kevin, hopefully you had a chance to dig into your memory bank for this, but do you have any memories that stand out where either a sales presentation that you sat through or that you delivered yourself? was wholly unforgettable and embarrassing. And if so, give that to the audience. Uh, well, I'll let Webster answer the first part of this. Uh, let's say your controller gets what? Yeah, um, hit by a bus. What? So don't ever use, let's say your, don't, don't ever use, ever use somebody gets hit by a bus. Right? <laughs> I hate that. This was, uh, this was in a, this was in, uh, in focus, like the, the, the previous company and we're out in Vancouver and, uh, presenting to this, you know, this executive team and, uh, we're saying, well, you know, okay. So in the event, your controller gets hit by a bus and the room goes silent and we get this, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, our controller stepped out of in front of a bus two weeks ago and died. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're going, oh my God. That coming, right? And uh, <laughs> now, let's say somebody critical in your organization gets hit by the lottery. Way no, okay. Yeah, all right, all right. Nobody dies in that scenario, and uh, everybody's better for it. Whoa, oh my God. Take that one off the table entirely. Don't use it. <laughs> So, you know, say somebody wins the lottery and needs to go retire, right? I'm yeah. never going to say somebody gets hit by a bus now ever again. And I'm going to think about this in doing so. Let's do Is a quick hot? lightning round. I'm going to I'm going to throw to, to end things on a little bit more of an upbeat note, guys. Thank you, Kevin. You really took that in an extremely dark manner, but I'll allow it. Um, so a little bit of lightning round. One. <laughs> I say a word or a phrase, and you guys have to say the first word or two that comes to mind. Didn't prep you for this, but we got to do it. All right. So here we go. Saddle dome. Dead. Yeah. Hurricane beer. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah. Everyone beer. Everyone <laughs> beer. There you go. Yeah. Um, quorum. Uh, career starter. Yeah. Depth. Depth. Spirit data in three years. More awesome. Uh, uh, large. Yeah. Growing and large. Couldn't say acquired, Jason. That might have put you in a weird spot. That could be the case, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, we like to say, you know, we're not focused on trying to build something to be sold. We're trying to build something that's good and good for our customers. And someone will want to buy it. We're not trying to sell it. So I, I say just growing in large. Yeah. And, and truly, that's where the best customer uh, companies come from. Like, I would imagine when Jeff Bezos was building Amazon to, to sell books, he wasn't thinking of getting a $50 million exit because he had the best online library for college students to buy books from, right? Uh, and, and if somebody is building a company to get sold, and I've seen this happen too, where you get to two or three million and somebody loves your concept and pays 30, that, comp- that $30 million uh, exit doesn't usually turn into a massive windfall for the uh, acquiring company. Um, final questions. So tell me, uh, where do people find Spirit Data, Kevin and Jason? Where can they find you guys? Yeah, so um, you know, website spiritdata.com. Um, you know, we've we've done a lot of work and we're 
really active now on LinkedIn um, compared to years past. And so, you know, if you find Spirit, Spirit Data on LinkedIn, um, you're know, probably the, the two easiest places to find us. Yep. Spiritdata.com. And uh, yeah, we love to hear from people. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, the activity that uh, Webster and uh, Rosie have done on LinkedIn and the, you know, the, the number of people that we've had reaching out and, and even through, uh, you know, Max and yourself, it's people that we haven't heard from in a long time. We've been at this 19 years and uh, it's, it's great. Some of the folks that are just, you know, reaching out, coming out of the woodwork. Hey, you guys are, you know, I worked with you back here doing this and lots of history. And uh, so that, that profile race uh, has been great, but yeah, we love to, love to hear from folks. Yeah, you know, and, and I guess f- final thought on that, Funk Futures and Spirit Data, we worked with you guys now for, I think, about 18 months. Um, it's it's really fun to work with a company that has a growth mindset, yet has been around for a couple of decades. That's, that's a big deal um, because there's just a different level of measuredness, if that's even a word. Kevin, there was a point where we were kind of struggling. I said, man, you know, I know we want to get you more. And you said, you know, peaks and valleys, right? It happens. That mindset comes from being in the game for a long time. When you work with a brand new startup, everything's life or death that day. And it really becomes a incredibly high pressure, stressful environment where you do things differently. Taking a measured approach can really allow for growth over the long term, and I admire how you guys have have done that. And it's frankly a little bit of a breath of fresh air um, in an environment where everything with investors and, and startup execs needs to happen yesterday, right? So it's it's been it's been an honor. And uh, as far as content goes, I do have to say, a lot more people are looking and watching and listening than are telling you that they're doing that. That's been one of my biggest takeaways here in the past couple of years of having a podcast is people are watching, man. They're listening just because they're not commenting or liking every one of your posts. It doesn't mean that they're not aware of what you guys are doing. So keep it up. Keep putting the good word out there and keep growing spirit data the right way, fellas. Thank you for your time. Make sure you try and calm, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Awesome.